in a world where science has predicted that 8.7 million eukaryotic species currently roam. Humans have cataloged a mere 1.6 million. That leaves nearly 7 million sneaky little croutons hiding in the shadows. In the last year alone, we've identified both the strange and the cuddly. An iridescent underground snake, Achalinus zugorum, a parasitic spider-eating wasp, Actrotaphus, and the world's tiniest and most criminally adorable raccoon, the Alangito. Seriously, you have to look this one up. At least 14 new species have been named after a popular boy wizard, and one lucky beetle was christened the Agra Schwarzeneggeri for its super-ripped middle femora. Every day, scientists prepare themselves for the next big breakthrough, and today, we invite you behind the curtain to the single acorn's first new creature feature, brought to you by myself, Dr. Christine Fleener, to investigate a discovery from the jungles of Southeast Asia. Welcome to the Single Acorn Podcast. But first, a word from our sponsors. Crash! Boom! What's that? Do you have unknown species in your attic, under your floorboards, or poking around under the hood of your car? Well, we have just the gizmos for you, called Neofauna Pest Control. If it's endangered, you will have to move, and that's an NPS guarantee. Welcome, listeners. Today, I am the captain now. This is Christine Fleener, and uh, I am joined with my co-hosts, Dr. Iwigi. Professor Iwigi. Professor Iwigi. <laughs> All right, let's take it again. <laughs> nice to be here. And Glenn. Do you want right. to be referred to as your, as your doctor, Dr. Glenn? No, that's okay. Just Glenn's fine, or you can be like, I could be like a servant for the purposes of this episode. Be like, Glenn, fetch me some water. Like Jeeves, you might think of it as a synonym for Jeeves. Except for not the one that knows everything, the internet. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to call you Dr. Jeeves, and whenever I have a question, I shall ask you. Um, excuse me. I'll answer to that. So, this is my first question, which I am going to extend to the both of you. How many different species of animals do you think exist? Or not even animals, just different species of life do you think exists on Earth? I'm going to I'm gonna let the, the doctor go first, and then the professor. <laughs> Dr. Jeeves? <laughs> So you're asking Jeeves? I'm asking Jeeves first, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Jeeves is going to give you the answer answer from 2003 when Jeeves was <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's going to take a while to load, though. The answer is seven. Seven's a good lucky number. I don't know. I'm going to say, yeah. because there's probably a lot of controversy about what a species is, right? With things like oh bacteria. Gosh. Yeah. Maybe even what on Earth is. I guess inside the Earth would count. In the Earth's kind of area, right? It could be in the atmosphere. Yeah, it has to be within the stratosphere. I'm going to say 100 million. Okay, great. It's my, it's my favorite number. 100 million and one. Dang $1. it. <laughs> Weegee. <laughs> always outsmarting me. He always gets the prize. The prize goes to no one. The prize goes to absolutely no one because nobody knows. How in the world do we define a species? And how in the world could we possibly know how much biodiversity, how much biodiversity? No, I can't even find my keys. I can't even find my, I can't even find my keys. <laughs> All we know is that one, we only have we only know about uh, about a fraction of the biodiversity of this planet, and two, it's uh you know going extinct at a, a pretty tremendous rate. But we're not going to focus on that right now. We're going to focus on the spaces in between, the spaces we don't know, because there are actually more animals that are being discovered. Like, did you hear about that cat in the jungles of Sumatra or something? They found, like, another species of uh, orangutan. 
What? I did not hear about. That. Oh wait, no, no, I did hear about that. That was recent. They found the yeah. world's smallest uh, reptile, I think. Well, Borneo, that's fun. A few weeks ago. I feel like there are a there's a lot of reports of being excited about finding a new jungle species and then being like, yay! But also, it will go extinct. Yeah, yeah. Within the next thirty minutes. <laughs> I mean, what's interesting about uh, not those discoveries but there are discoveries of species that are like hiding in plain sight where a species of like mollusk like a little uh like oyster or something like that right, or mussel yeah. that like a freshwater mussel i think there was one that was found in michigan and it looked exactly like all of the other mussels that were there but it turned out that this little population wound up being its own species so it's kind of cool i mean there are I think as we as we sort of figure out what a species is yeah. and the exceptions to the rule, uh, we're starting to discover, yeah, new species that are right in front of us. I think about every single time an insect that I find looking unusual lands on me. <laughs> I think, oh, my God, is this the first time? Could be the one. And if I let it fly away, no one will ever know about it. Yeah. I also I worked for an entomology department for a while, and our whole thing was building phylogenies so we can determine very very slight differences in like reproductive anatomy or it's just like something on the genome like entomologists are labeling new species every second this validates my <clears throat> camping habit if something flies onto my face while i'm sleeping i used to slap it then i used to grab it and throw it but now i grab it and put it in my mouth and i just sort of spend the night and then i put it into a jar a specimen jar Oh, you you finished the night. I just kind of wanted to know. Yeah, I just wanted to know who was insect. visiting me, but now I realize it might be for biodiversity. Maybe we're cataloging new species. Would would my saliva mess up? Just so I just know if I'm doing the right thing. They could still determine whether it was a new species genetically if it's been in my mouth for a night. I feel like different if you were to ask a vertebrate, <laughs> vertebrate biologist or an invertebrate biologist. I'd get a different answer from all of them. Okay. Oh yeah, this is definitely my area of expertise. can i just make a correction the world's smallest reptile i just i just looked this up i apologize but it was in madagascar and one of my son's favorite movies is madagascar i think he would be upset at me if i so i'm just correcting Wait, so it was in the movie madagascar <laughs> it might have maybe <laughs> i didn't i didn't peruse the credits carefully enough no in in the island nation of madagascar they discovered a tiny chameleon which may or may not yeah. be the i mean i guess it's not surprising organisms have a tendency on islands to become increasingly small and tiny do you know jared diamond he's I do. famous for his guns book, and uh, germs and steel and knives and weapons <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and other bad things <laughs> he did his phd research on the santa monica islands out in california off the coast of los angeles up to santa barbara the islands off there and uh he was studying pygmy mastodons i think Cute. that were out on the islands what yeah. there are all these like how big yeah, were all they? these in like how small significantly smaller i i think they were like horse sized or something but they so cute. on the islands there are a number of these they're called island endemics where they live on these islands and nowhere else but there are a bunch of mammal populations that during the glacial period all the water was locked up in the glaciers up in the north and ocean levels were way lower than they are today and so now the the channel the santa barbara channel is like 17 miles to the islands and it used to be like three miles and so you had all these species that could have floated or swam out to the islands and then as ocean levels rose the populations got trapped out there and they got smaller and smaller because there's fewer resources to support them 
It's kind of cool. So it's not surprising that the smallest lizard was found on an island. So does that sort of tell us that a mastodon can swim between 3 and 17 miles sometime? Some between that. They could, they could swim back and <laughs> yeah. forth for a while, but then they got stranded. So they got, okay. That's yeah, what I exactly. wanted to know. Yeah, I mean, elephants are great swimmers. That's not surprising. I didn't know elephants because I miss having a more elephant-type species, you know. Mastodons and mammoths, elephants. I would yeah. like to see them all in a swimming contest, I guess, like an Olympics-type thing. But we again, we're not focusing on what we don't have this podcast, right? We're focusing on what we don't know. Well, I was going to just emphasize the fact that some people think that for example, some extant species of hominid are still alive today. We just can't find them. Um, but we're also like defining new species lines every day. Are you referring to the Sasquatch? There are a lot of different legends in a lot of different places of things like that. There's the Yeti also, which is supposed to be, what is that, an example of Gigantopithecus? And then there's, I mean, on the smaller end of the scale, there's Homo florensiensis, the little hobbit people hobbit on people? the Polynesian islands. Yeah. Yeah. And there are also uh, out on those islands for the cultures that are used the word extant, which just means a species that still exists. And in the cultures of uh, Homo sapiens, humans that are out there, the extant cultures, uh, they have stories of these smaller people that live out there. So it's that possible it. that these... Yeah, yeah, but it's possible that these, you know, uh, humans that are alive today, the culture is still intact, that they were sympatric or living together with another species of humans and have stories about them, which is pretty wild. There's a curupira. Do you know about that in Brazil? No. It's sort of a smaller kind of hominid, but its feet, feet are backwards. So when you try to track it, it kind of fools you because you think it's going one way, but its feet are backwards <laughs> because the other one just sort of leads you to this nowhere. It leads you to where it started. That's very clever. But I also, I want to bring up the fact that like, whenever I say that um, we have discovered new animals, it doesn't necessarily mean that this is the first time human eyes have, have seen them. There are a lot of, like you were saying, native peoples that have had relationships or even names for a lot of these mm -hmm. animals for a super duper long time. Even if there is a creature that native people have been identifying for years, there is still a need for scientists to label them. And whenever we have a new animal, if we cannot identify any closely related species just from neighboring areas or in our own catalog, we have to go through the whole process of categorizing them and discovering their ecology and biology. So I would like to bring up to you a freshly discovered creature that now we can have the first ever identification conversation this is very exciting this stuff. Is groundbreaking. groundbreaking stuff exactly i i, I just, know a yeah. guy that's why i get this intel <laughs> yeah <laughs> so in the same way that our professor Oigi goes through the whole kingdom phylum class order family genus species we will also have to fill in those things for this creature great okay Great, let's do this. Listeners yes. can play along, right? They can get Listeners their blank, play along. If you can call in. Blank worksheets with kingdom. You can call them. in. It's just going to be like days later, I'm going to be on the toilet. And I'm going to be answering my phone saying, yeah, it's over now. It's done. So um, we'll, of course, uh, link any images or descriptions on the website. The show notes. Yeah, on the show notes. Okay, so one creature that was indeed found is about uh, a foot and a half tall. And uh, it does have a fur, but it doesn't have any tail. So right Marmot. off- Marmot. Okay. Just a guess. The teeth, though, 
are pretty sharp. So I I would suspect that this this animal was in some way some sort of predator. But if you can think of any, there I guess are omnivorous animals that do have sharp teeth, but they don't have the same like you know how we have incisors in the front and canards mm-hmm. on the side. These guys don't have premolars or molars. It's like just sharp canines and sharp incisors. Is it, uh, okay, I have a question. Is it uh, what's called homodentition, where they just have like a single tooth type, or have their teeth evolved so that they each have, like the molars, the molars look like canines? Right. So, like, what are some examples of those, like, like cats the carnassial have molars? Yeah, exactly. For shearing. When they, when they smile or grimace, do they have that sort of horrifying maw of like an anglerfish, like a deep sea, just sharp teeth everywhere? It appears that like the dentition is that the, all of the teeth look identical and they're all very sharp. There's a, a debate about where teeth evolved from. So whether they evolved from the jaw bone or whether they evolved from the skin. And if you look at something like a shark, shark actually have these teeth all over the outside of their skin which is why they're really rough to the touch. They're just covered in teeth? They're just sheathed they're in teeth? They're covered in teeth. Teeth sheathed? Yeah. That makes them even scarier. Teeth sheathed brought to you by Colgate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Think how long brushing their teeth must take. You need a really high-powered work, high powered toothpaste for such a job. My pet shark uses Colgate. So you can tell a lot about what an animal eats based on their teeth. So, Like a crab eater seal. Yes. They have a bunch of teeth that all look really yes. similar these sort of jagged it looks like a steel trap yes if they have homodentition then they would not be mammals but they have exactly fruit. that's so where that's where mammals. we're at right now so then we got some other that's questions. what i have, I have, have lots of questions. well do they have a belly button <laughs> you know they were not able to find a belly button so there's no, no evidence okay so a non-placental mammal mammals do weird things all the time monotremes are the they have cloacas what's that about yeah. One thing I just learned is that the babies of monotremes are called puggles. What's that about? Wait, is... Uh, oh, really? That's <laughs> they're called puzzles? Puggles. Oh. Puggles. Yeah, they're a real puggle puzzle, though. I tell you that one. <laughs> puggle. Does the organism in question have a cloaca? Ooh, this is a good question. This is data I don't have. If you went to, like, an ancient bird, there would be this specialized early uh, feather, right, that would look very fur-like. Yeah, sure. Maybe they're feathers. I don't know. But they're fine. Okay. okay. Like a fur. They do appear to have mammaries, but there are no reproductive organs to speak of otherwise. So those are secondary sex characteristics, but they do not seem to be <laughs> primary sex characteristics. Do they reproduce like vegetatively? Like they can take an arm off and just plant it and then another one comes up. Budding. Yeah, budding. You know, I've never tried that before. I mean, I don't have one of these <laughs> specimens in my... <laughs> they're actually... Oh, you I didn't one. actually <laughs> even mention where they're from. They're from like Southeast Asia. Uh, I, uh, you mentioned primary characteristics and can you define that for... Audience? Yes. So our primary sex characteristics are like the organs responsible for the reproductive process. So your actual genitals... Secondary sex characteristics is what happen uh, after your body produces testosterone or estrogen and you have like mammaries or you have um, like difficulty listening, difficulty listening. You got a beard. (laughs) Maybe. What are some other ones? (laughs) Shoot. Oh, shoot. Pubic hair. (laughs) Do you know why we have pubic hair? For fun. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. It's like so, backup, right? Uh, well, skin rubbing against skin is uh, increases the amount of friction, and uh, fur against fur decreases the amount of friction. So there's that element to it. It doesn't have anything to do with like parasite load or anything like that. Yeah, there, well, there's a bunch of uh, different ideas of, I mean, it could have multiple functions, but certainly if you have an orifice having some fur to prevent stuff directly going in, like your nostrils have hair inside them to keep uh, bad things from going <laughs> in your nose. And so like the goatee. Well, I'm just I can't help but think about rhesus macaques, for example. It's like most monkeys are, they have like an inverted situation where their whole bodies have very thick body hair, but their genital yeah. area is hairless. That, that's the exception that proves, or not the exception, but it's the inverse, right? It's drawing attention to that feature. Their genitals aren't just flapping around for everybody to enjoy. They have, they come out when they're ready to be used. So yeah. that's another thing is like, there's not as much of um a need for protection, like an extra layer of protection or anything like that. So I was just wondering if there's other animals that take that to a more extreme. Like, I don't know, they have like colored feathers like with arrows pointing down there or like lights or I don't flowers know. that's right flowers flowers, flowers do. have landing flowers strips and ultraviolet right some of yeah yeah flowers have landing strips and ultraviolet light some of them this makes me feel light. so much better about my landing strip tattoo <laughs> <laughs> the the ultraviolet one yeah i know when we were you get a lot of bees well, well, because, a lot of know, bees the dark, i'm better <laughs> so in the dark yeah, when Glenn and I were playing naked laser tag, it was <laughs> quite alarming. It was a liability then, but it's an advantage in so many other situations. So, that's those are primary and secondary sex characteristics. Thanks for okay. <laughs> thanks for waiting. So this one has secondary but sex. No primary sex. No char- external. Yeah. Are there tertiary? How far does it go? Well, also the point of the of the primary sex organs is that they produce these hormones that determine mm. your secondary sex characteristics just wanted to clarify that hold on i'm about to yawn <laughs> Jeez. okay neither of you actually <laughs> yawned which means neither of you are empaths how dare you i'm a sociopath <laughs> so that's what excuse. jeeves it's his strength and his weakness what <laughs> what's Helps your excuse uh my zoom froze when you yawned i never saw it so they have fur, but they do not appear to be mammals. They have teeth, but there is homodentition. They have no tail. So what can we assume from no tail? Probably no climbing. Yeah. Probably bipedal terrestrial. They're bipedal also. I'm just trying to think if there are quadrupeds that don't have tails that are not insects. Because usually the the tails are like a like on a leopard or cheetah, they're uh, counterweight for when they make sharp turns. So okay. why do pigs have such tiny tails? Is it they just don't need just to counterweight? They don't turn that much. They still have a little one. They just make little turns. <laughs> uh, wild boars have tails, but they're just like itty bitties. Oh, I guess they are big enough to like slap flies off. That's pretty important. Yeah, they're longer, so, so it's probably just a just domestic a... breeding thing. The corkscrew helps open wine. Yeah, that's also true. So they also, they're bipedal as well. Let's go through all of the animals that are bipedal. Humans. 
<laughs> well, we, we didn't answer how many species there are initially. So are we going through We're going to go through every trillion one. We don't know, actually. It could yeah. be anywhere between one and a trillion, I think, is what we decided. At least one. Yeah. Well, at okay, least so, one species. So we got... Yeah, at least one. Okay, so humans are. Uh, we've got birds. They're... Yeah, I mean, well, you said this is a, a new species in that's Southeast true. Asia, so we'd be looking for something in, in Southeast that's Asia. That's a really, 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 also... really, 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 really good point. Of course, like we also mentioned, there are a lot of animals that evolve on islands and then will migrate. So that's what I yeah. suspect must have happened. Is this an invasive species that we're talking about? They're just starting to be noticed in this area, but not yet prevalent enough maybe to be considered a, a threat asexual reproduction is not a hallmark of all invasive species but certainly the ability to reproduce asexually is a huge advantage if you're going to invade a new like area like a dandelion like a dandelion exactly. like a dandelion yeah exactly you were listening <laughs> i was <laughs> I'm not just spacing out cruising on the internet while we She's do this on askjeeves.com just looking at everything yeah. you say. <laughs> okay, so the next thing I want to focus on, so it's got this fur, but it also has very, very large eyes, like a bush baby. Okay, yeah. so presumably nocturnal. That's my thought. Eyes in the front? Eyes in the eyes front? Eyes in the front, exactly. Or Bi- eyes on the side? Uh, binoculars. So it's bipedal, but bipedal animals are typically not fast. It's nocturnal, mm-hmm. so... Uh, but it's not terrestrial. So if you have a nocturnal animal with eyes in the front, you would expect that it would probably be, I would expect that it would be, uh, with eyes in the front, it has stereoscopic or 3D vision. So it would be navigating through a three-dimensional world. I would expect it to be arboreal in trees, but it's not. And no tail. Yeah. So nocturnal, I I think it's going after insects. That's my guess. Insectivore. That's a good theory. I'm going to write that down. How long is its tongue? So why does it need all those sharp teeth for insects? Those... Well, I was thinking like shrews. Shrews have all those sharp little teeth for oh, right. capturing and... Stabbing, piercing. Uh, yeah, and crunching through the shells yeah. of, of its prey. And they kind of have a heterodentition a little bit. All their molars are sharp and pointy and stabby. Or homodentition, I mean. There are things like uh, selenodons, which are another type of insectivore, and they have these little grooves in their incisors that can like slide in a venom but the grooved venom slide nice technique classic maneuver (laughs) classic the classic (laughs) venom slide the tongues are unremarkable thank you yes okay so it's not special what about the hands they got little leathery hands are they like beavers or they got little furry hands their hand only has three digits on it i don't know what has selected for only three digits but any vertebrate is going to have the same anatomy to have those like other two digits. Yeah, I mean, things lose features when they specialize. That is true, but what right, specialization so like a, would account for for three digits? I mean, there's a three-toed sloth, yeah. which is arboreal. There's actually a two-toed sloth also. True, but that's for climbing, you know? Yeah, and then you have horses, which have two toes that are, f- or four toes mm-hmm. essentially, that are fused together. Who knows? I mean, they don't have... Question mark. Uh, like an II, you know, for example, who has that one yeah. super long middle digit, which they use to tap out like termites and different insects. Nothing yeah. like that. All the digits are the same size. And they have sharpened uh, nails, so they're sort of claw-like, but 
doesn't really seem to be comparable to any other obvious animal with specialized digits. Okay, okay. great. And large leathery ears that are sort of bat-like. Furry ears or naked Naked ears? ears like bats. And like possums? I'm trying to imagine possum ears right now. Do possums have ears? <laughs> yeah, they're naked like that. They're just like leathery like like bat ears. So that really does confirm the nocturnal thing. Although they do... Yeah, they make terrible they, house pets. Yeah, they have... Un- <laughs> just bonking into things all the time. They have also unremarkable olfactory abilities um, from from okay. what people have been able to determine. Can they echolocate? Do they know? Can they like make a little squeaker? Little they, they might <laughs> if they do. I mean, we'll only find out with time. But here's where it gets a little tricky, at least with identifying what their origin is. I mean, we can pretty much determine that they're vertebrates. That's how far we've gone. I'm going to assume animal for now, kingdom animalia, but I actually, uh, even that is, there could be something It could go back farther than that. Well, they have teeth. They so, do have teeth, but so that doesn't mean, what are you trying to got bones? say that yeah, we can't I think evolve is teeth? Fungus is, well, well maybe not. what if it's a whole new I thing? S- no, but it's got all these shared characteristics. Yeah, but we don't think that could evolve more than once. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, you could use, like, hair. There are these, um, I think they're called monkey slugs. They're types of caterpillars. And they look like they have monkey fur on them. But it is an analogous structure. It's not homologous. So analogous means that they have evolved to have this similar uh, similar appearance. And then homolo- homologous structures are structures that have evolved from the same particular organ or structure. Right. And so... The fur that we're describing, it sounds like it's homologous with, you know, other mammal fur. And the bones sound like they're, or the teeth sound like they're the same as teeth in vertebrates. So I would say we have an animal that is a vertebrate that is maybe a primitive mammal. Okay, yeah. So kingdom animalia. So we have three three groups of mammals. We have the... Yeah, we have, and then clasp would ma- be mammalia, and then we've got the marsupials, the placental mammals, and the monotremes. I'm voting monotreme. So let's see if from mammals we can get any more specific because um, this is definitely unprecedented among mammals. They have a very curious metamorphic life cycle. Not a mammal. So not a mammal, right? Or at least not one of the three groups that we described. Right. So. Teague, can you, or ask Jeeves. Mm, thanks for including. <laughs> can you describe yeah. what makes something a metamorphic animal and how that is different than just developing like a human? Well, there are different types of metamorphosis, but essentially metamorphosis is having distinct life stages that are morphologically different in appearance. So with animals, or sorry, with mammals, we just get bigger. Right, our our proportions generally stay the same. Uh, we have very few changes that happen from pre-adolescence to maturity. And then with something that undergoes metamorphosis, the juveniles look significantly different than the adults. So like with insects, most insects, not all of them, but uh, for most of them, they are they they don't have wings as the in the larval form and then they undergo metamorphosis in a pupa or something like that and then they develop into a winged animal like a caterpillar to a butterfly. I believe the way that happens they go deep underground and then temperature and pressure creates the metamorphic state of the animal that's what causes the wings exactly. and then they 
they yeah. kind of have to create a tunnel to climb back to the surface. Yeah, that's what I learned in my geology class, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's confusing the first time you hear about it. Because it yeah, seems like it would hurt the animal. The seems like it would hurt it, but yeah, yeah, it just allows the change. Yeah, exactly. So oftentimes, like a butterfly is a really good example. Go from egg to larva to pupa to adult. That's a simplified version, yeah. but that's the important parts. I think that was first described by uh, Dr. Franz Kafka. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, in the 20th century. Okay, so tell us about the metamorphosis. Yeah, so the metamorph- what's, what's going on? What so is the metamorphosis? There? So it goes through a similar kind of metamorphic structure you might find in a butterfly, but it seems to mostly just reinforce certain features. Or not reinforce, but like... Yeah, so like butterflies... When they go through their larval stage, they are caterpillars, and they don't have any of the features that the butterfly has. I mean, they, they'll have six legs, and then they make their chrysalis, or their cocoon, and they turn into mushy mash, and then they come out this winged, beautiful creature. It's called a uh, holo metabolism. Holo crap. <laughs> and then there's hemimetabolism, like a dragonfly or something that slowly develops through successive stages into a different form curious okay so these creatures they exclusively will reproduce asexually and they do it after wet seasons so in the same way swarms of locusts tend to come after wet seasons because that introduces a time of abundance they have been selected to reproduce right before a time of abundance And rather than reproducing by laying eggs, kind of want to use monotremes as an example because they exude their milk through their pores. Yeah, sweat glands, yeah. They almost have these specialized pores that aid in the whole reproductive process. That is where their eggs come from. I don't know if egg is actually the word because they are in the larval stage when this happens. I haven't seen it firsthand. It sounds a lot like in... I don't consider it part of the Jurassic Park canon, but in Jurassic World, <laughs> which is a it's good to protect the canon. pile of garbage, yeah. <laughs> uh, they they go into the lab and they show like you know they have all the different animals in all the different tanks and they're like okay so basically we get to choose an element from a gecko and choose an element from a lionfish and all these different things and then just copy a chunk of that and paste it all together and you get an organism but it sounds like basically that's what we got here right because there are no vertebrates that i can think of that uh go through metamorphosis other than amphioxus Mm -hmm. which is like one of our very 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 early they're chordates but they're not vertebrates they're like these fish-like things that when they go become adults they anchor down into the soil and then they decompose their brain and just become these little filter feeders. <laughs> They're pretty cool uh, little things. But this, so this has like elements of an insect because it metamorphoses, yeah. but then it is like an asexual budding thing, kind of like a plant. Do you know mother of millions? Uh, we have Colin it. Well, we have mother of thousands. Oh yeah. Maybe that's what it is. No, there's two, <laughs> there's two of them. You have one at your house. Mm-hmm. What is it? Calantia? Yeah. So tell us about they, uh, on ours, the at the end of the leaves, there's these kind of bud-looking structures, that fall, and then they fall onto the ground, and then those reproduce as plants that kind of, like, sprout up. Yeah, it's a cool thing, and they kind of develop these little white hair, little roots that come off of them as they're on the leaf before they drop off. And then you've got the mammal characteristics of it. So it sounds like a, a copy-and-paste chimera monstrosity. Yeah, no. 
Can I go back to they sort of sweat out? They reproduce by sweating. Is, are there any other animals or creatures that can do that? Like through their pores, just like squirt the babies out? No, but it's got to be like a specialized <laughs> know monotreme, right? About. Because if monotremes can basically sweat out milk, which is necessary for their infants, maybe there is some similar anatomy to that, which is specialized to as like... Just like sweat out a tadpole. And, and- yeah. Are they young? Are they altricial or precocial? Pretty precocial. So altricial. Yeah. Okay. Altricial is helpless, and then precocial is they're ready to go. They're ready to go, they're ready ready to go out. day one. Yes, exactly. Day one. Second. So they're exuding out something that's ready. Well, to How big the are their pores? The thing that's extra strange about it yeah. is the replication <laughs> process. There is no requirement at what stage in the life cycle you have to be in order to produce more larvae. So there does not seem to be sexual maturity. You know, it's like at any point in the life cycle. From day one. From day one. As soon one. as they were coming out of the pore, they might have another one coming out of their pore. Exactly. So Babies on. have a babies, Glenn. Yeah, I've already said I'm against that. This sounds like an ecological Nightmare? disaster yeah. like waiting mother, to happen. Mother of yeah. billions. If this is indeed some animal that has survived since the when when did mammals split off and we this is like the an, primordial exact, soup. Not the primordial oh, soup. The I'm talking yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're talking uh, ecological strategy or biological strategy that has lasted for 65 million years or something like that. Longer. Is it longer? Mostly in one place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the earliest mammal-like creatures split off in the Permian, I think, like 250 million, 275 million years ago. Right? I mean, I guess they might have had, this is just like its own evolutionary line and everything else has sort of disappeared. Well, I mean, they're... There are things that are an evolutionary branch, or they're the only example of that phylum. They are like these evolutionary fossils, or they're living fossils. So they're things that have existed for tens to hundreds of millions of years without really changing shape in any significant way. So crocodiles are often described as living fossils. This weird chimera thing is apparently a living fossil is it possible to have these sort of chimeric animals without some sort of intervention like this is something that would just naturally happen in nature no no because you can't have you can't have uh, well i mean our genome is like seven percent virus <gasps> dna what if it's a but virus you, maybe it's a virus um and so you can have these intermediaries you know viruses that are moving dna around but you can't have dna from different clades or different evolutionary lineages merge at some point down the road because they're reproductively isolated Uh, unless you had humans genetically modifying them to make uh indominus rex (laughs) you told me to take the most horrible things from every animal (laughs) (laughs) so that people wouldn't get bored of dinosaurs (laughs) whatever (laughs) okay so at any point in its life stage, it can reproduce. Uh, the reproduction can only take place after a wet season, so at before time of abundance, which makes sense because in order for it to progress on to the, the pupal stage, it has to have a great deal of, of food to consume. And actually, let's bring us back to dentition because it does not seem to have a discriminatory diet. It seems to be entirely omnivorous. Hmm. Um, it would eat anything. If you have an animal that is a complete clone, how do you get individuation? One of the theories is that the the actual diet of the larva before going into the pupal stage is what defines that. So 
Kind of like you would see, I mean, this is a bad example, but flamingos turn pink because of the beta carotene that they eat. But there are also examples of like... Spadefoot toads, the tadpoles from those, the ones that are born first, have more access to Uh, food. So they grow faster and they develop larger, stronger jaws. So they're able as larger tadpoles to hunt insects. But the ones that are born later have smaller jaws, and so they develop uh, jaws that are only big enough to graze, like, algae. What about if they grew yeah. up on Cheetos? <laughs> they would tor- turn orange. Okay, I would great. Assume. That's the answer I was looking for. And probably be slightly <laughs> overweight. <laughs> but so in, when they emerge from their people stage, they do tend to have what scientists have described as more reptilian traits, but their appearance has not changed that much. Like, they are not more specialized in their adulthood than they were in their larval stage. They, they maybe have slightly longer claws um, and slightly larger ears, but they otherwise they really just grow in size. So maybe we can't exactly deem it a metamorphic stage so much as it is a, a shedding of this. I mean, like, I, they haven't done enough research into what actually is taking place in the pupil stage. Well, so it's called uh, pedomorphosis. Pedo like, um, axolotls have this where they don't go through sexual maturity they are they're capable of reproducing via sex but they um don't go through like a physical metamorphosis into an adult stage Ah. so they're able to reproduce as juveniles which is a way that you can get a new species if you have a species that yeah or a population where part of the population develops into a adult form and the other part doesn't. So there's this term neot- neotonic, I think is how you pronounce it, that I've heard. Yeah. Is that different from pedomorphic or is it similar? Salamanders that stay in their juvenile larval form. As far as I know, neotonic or neotony is retaining juvenile features as an adult. And it's it might refer to species that undergo metamorphosis. But my understanding is that it's for like, like our dogs that we have, our neotonized wolves where they maintain a lot of the characteristics of puppy wolves, where they have like big eyes, their skull morphology is similar, um, their behavioral traits are similar. And so it's basically maintaining okay. uh, juvenile characteristics. Into they use it for salamander species that do undergo metamorphosis as well. But Yeah. Across the board, like yeah. even in bovine species, in addition to canines. Yeah, yeah. So, so far, those are the biggest parts of the reproductive cycle, or sorry, the life cycle, that have been observed. I mean, it really depends on the wet season. I mean, even in a lab scenario, if you simulate a wet season, they will still reproduce like that. So it can be, they're not necessarily seasonal breeders. So they'll they'll reproduce year round. And by reproduce, I mean, pop yeah. off. Sounds like a terrifying experience for them to- <laughs> like, Can you imagine? Go drink water. <laughs> don't splash, don't splash, don't splash, don't splash. I'm a- totally 100% related to my offspring so let's do this yeah it does seem like that there is some sort of reaction that is going on with the actual h2o that they come in contact with and like how in the world can somebody have this reaction to water when for example humans are 75% water or some number i just made up have you ever heard of aquagenic urticaria i have not heard of aquagenic ask jeeves have you heard of (laughs) aquagenic urticaria 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 I don't know. I've only I've read heard it. I've heard of urticaria. Urtica is the genus for nettles. Oh. So urtica, I think, just means like stinging. Yeah, it? that makes sense. I mean, you know medicine. It basically, they just put words into a 
thesaurus into a Latin thesaurus and pop out the same yeah. thing. It's like and a rash, like, a rash of some kind, isn't it? Urticaria? It's a super duper rare condition in humans where like if you come in contact with water, you'll get hives all over your skin. And those people, they just like can't take showers. They can't do anything. Wow. But that's different from being able to handle because yeah. your skin, the you know composition yeah. of your skin and the receptors in your skin are different from the receptors exactly. inside your body. So you could be 80% exactly. water, but your skin is not in contact with that 80 exactly so that's basically their assumption about how this works but here's another reason why this might make sense okay so they have large eyes they have large ears we've we can basically assume that they are nocturnal because of these features but it is further confirmed because they have a extreme photosensitivity so hmm. that would indicate that at least for the majority of their lifespan or the entirety of their lifespan, they either exist in extremely shaded areas, which would presumably otherwise be protected from rainfall unless in a particularly rainy season, or they are cave-dwelling creatures. So mm, yeah. Interesting. Also, I mean, the, in Southeast Asia, I think the monsoons that roll through tend to be in like the during the day. So they're <laughs> cave dwelling animals. Usually when I say photosensitivity, people are like, oh, like they squint whenever the sun's out. But no, it is like it is a dangerous. It is a fatal photosensitivity. So they're part of vampires. So they're vampires, basically. It's the honestly <laughs> with a limited supply. Not a lot of people have felt the need to expose them on fire. Because, I mean, like, we are not photosynthetic by any means, but we do derive energy from the sun. Yeah, vitamin D synthesis. So can you, I mean, there are a lot of cave-dwelling creatures that never see the sun. There are deep, deep sure. ocean creatures, but that kind of sensitivity, that's pretty extreme. They can't be deep cave-dwelling, though, because they've got big old eyes. They have coloration, like, they, they do communicate or communicating something secondary sex characteristics yeah they have like a like some of them have like a stripe down their backs on their head to their nice. tail yeah not they're non-existent tail sorry they don't have tails obviously we are sensitive to uv rays and proteins and enzymes can be degraded by uv rays and they can kill bacteria and we get all sorts of terrible things from overexposure to sunlight and maybe they just have a super duper hypersensitivity to that process that just like accelerates them but they have fur i mean they seem protected yeah they're are they white i mean polar bears have fur but their fur is essentially like a hollow tube and their skin is a really dark Mm -hmm. color and so light is able to penetrate through the fur to get to the skin so it could be something like that what the heck are we talking about? What are about? we talking about? Listeners at this point. Call in. Call in while I'm on the toilet and you guys are listening to this in a week or whatever. <laughs> yeah, hi, this is Hank. Hank <laughs> Hankerson. I'm I'm just curious what kind of animal you're talking about because it doesn't sound very familiar to me. It sounds like something that I saw on like a like a collector's cup at Pizza Hut. But, uh... <laughs> Back in 1981. <laughs> you learned so much at Pizza Hut. Let's at least finish... Well, that's the whole fun thing about describing a species is you get to name that's it. That's exactly right? what I was thinking. So Let's name this Let's this name thing. this baby. Okay, so we have Kingdom Animalia, Phylum Chordata, Class Mammalia, and we're assuming it's some specialized order of monotreme, maybe? Monotreme. One, what's the treme part of that? I think it means they're tremendous. They're number one, right? One whole. Oh, that's what it means? One whole? Gosh, that's a good one. If it doesn't have one hole, is it just polytremata? 
like too many holes or infinite tramata because it has just like <laughs> all the pores, all the of its pores, pores can be yeah reproductive. I think that's what we should family. What are we talking Infinity. here? So instead of being like uh, let's call it polyphyllidae, polyphyllidae for for many phylogenetic relations. <laughs> this is gonna go in the Encyclopedia Britannica, so don't rush me. The final thing is now our genus and our species. I'm thinking that whatever it is, because it reproduces by water, I'm going to call this one Aqua Fecundus. Animals that reproduce out of many holes because of water. What is our species name? What about Horabilis from the teeth? I just think something with the teeth. (laughs) Aqua Fecundus Jeeves? Something with the teeth. I was going to say (laughs) Iwigii. (laughs) <laughs> what if we put that in a blender? <laughs> I like a wiggy eye. What do you got in mind? What about mogwai? Sure. Like the uh, the band or the ancient term for a horrible beast. That's kind of the vibe I was getting from this creature. Well, I think was an, that was good work in the lab, you guys. I'll make sure that I send this off to my special uh, my contact, the guy I know. Yeah, who works in like some shady little antique shop down in Chinatown. Just an ancient <laughs> secret, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to call it the sweaty cave hog. Okay, that's going to be the common name. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well. The sweaty cave thank hog. Thank you, Professor Wiggy, and thank you, Ask Jeeves, also known as Glenn. You're welcome. For participating in this monumental moment in history and thank you to I'm my audience to I'm, I'm looking forward to all of your calls where you have other suggestions for what this creature might be and what its origins are and i will return your calls when i get out of the bathroom and that's 1-800-ASK-JEEVES <laughs> hey come on don't give up my number <laughs> <laughs> thank you great and happy april fools everybody bye all right bye <laughs> bye bye <laughs>